Welcome to the new Creative Age podcast. My first guest on the show is a New York-based independent filmmaker and television producer, Zachary Irving. His award-winning film, The American Chain Gang, examines the use of forced labor programs to punish criminals. Recently, a new extended version of his film sparked a lot of conversations about the subject. Since 2020 is bringing people's attention to social issues, we will explore if there is also a chance to open a conversation about chain gangs. Zach, welcome to the show. How are you? Great. Thank you so much for having me. This is an exciting uh, venture. I'm glad to be a part of it. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Um, can you tell us what inspired you to make the film The American Chain Gang? Well... I shot it a long time ago. I shot it beginning in 1996. It took about three years to make. And then uh, in America, there was a wave of prison reform, not prison reform what we think of, mm-hmm. but a little more uh, looking backward instead of forward. And um, Life Magazine, when it was still around, did a photo uh, story, a photo expose on chain gangs in Alabama, the heart of the South, where uh, Fob James, the um, newly elected governor of Alabama, mm-hmm. put prisoners back on the chain gangs and the roads of Alabama. And I just thought this was going to be, you know, I was out of college and I thought this would be a great subject for a documentary on a number of levels. Socially, it's quite interesting. Visually, it's amazing to see real life chain gang. So what the film, the film really ended up doing because it took a while to do. And we, as you said, did a um, extended cut Mm -hmm. where we interviewed and um, uh, saw the real scope of the inmates before, during and after and long after the release to see what the impact truly was. I don't want to give it away. I'd like people to see it, but to really see what one of the inmates who is 40 years old looking at himself when he was 18 in the chain gang and really getting a sense of what is the impact for him. This program is designed to uh, change the course of his, uh, his life trajectory of his life. So um, it kind of became a journey that, you know, really started from these really powerful images, researching the history of what it was and became um, stories of people that uh, inmates and officers who were, um, you know, really their stories were kind of marginalized. They were people who were kind of cast off because of their criminal backgrounds. It's interesting to see their story in a new lens, which is certainly prison reform is being looked at again. Mm-hmm. Gladly, glad to see that. And, you know, through um, some civil rights issues, which are mm-hmm. really becoming uh, brought, being brought to the fore again. Mm-hmm. So what's the use of chain gangs? Well, you could think of it as a very dark time in American history because the chain gang evolved from a a labor vacuum that developed after the Civil War, primarily in the South, right? So um, the labor base was gone and uh, prisoners, chiefly African-Americans, were brought out of uh, coal mines where they were uh, among other places, uh, forced to work and put on the roads that needed uh, to be developed because after the Civil War, the, the roads in, the, in uh, the South were ravaged and poorly developed mm. and uh, 
there was a strong need. Now, the Chang Gang of the 1990s was much different, but it echoed that time in history, especially in the South. And for the inmates and officers, it was a different um, motivation for it. It was certainly something that was meant to be seen by the public at large. And instead of being motivated by uh, a vacuum of labor, it was motivated by a sense of being hard on crime mm. and for the public to see the impact they were having on inmates, 60% African-American and 40% white and other, to reflect the prison population at large. So you think of it, seeing African-Americans chained to each other. Um, at that point, they were chained to each other. Later, they were chained uh, just to themselves, but part of work gangs. Mm. On the roads of the South, it really strikes an emotional chord in almost anyone who would see it. Mm. And uh, chain gangs are still used in America, aren't they? Yeah, I knew you were going to ask that. I did mm -hmm. a little research before this to see which states still have them mm -hmm. because this was a kind of a grand experiment in the late 90s, the chain gangs, because um, states were lined up to see if they would also have a chain gang after Alabama. There were a lot of lawsuits from um, Southern Poverty Law Center in Alabama. We're, we're suing them as a, a sense of, you know, the, this uh, focusing on the civil rights issues, if there are civil rights violations. And so mm -hmm. a lot of corrections departments around the country were seeing how that would shake out. And Florida, Arizona, the state, and Maricopa County had them. Um, but I'm not sure in Michigan, I think it had one as well. But I'm not sure which still have them, but it's still certainly that uh, a, an idea that uh, was very attractive mm. to politicians for uh, seeming tough on crime. Mm. Um, so do you think that in the current situation, after the death of George Floyd, there is a chance to open the conversation again? Yeah, well, sure. Um, I hope the chain gangs are mostly in the rearview mirror. I'm not sure that they are. But... Um, they still exist. Uh, they're not part of a growing trend, but who knows what will happen next. Now there's a sense of, you know, how policing is done and mm -hmm. how policing and uh, the community that there seem to be a lot of fissures and a lot of detachment. Um, how does that relationship evolve? Uh, is there uh, an evolution? Is there a defunding? Is there more of a community uh, hand in things? And this conversation just seems like it's been um, evolving and it has been suddenly something that no one can ignore. So it's an exciting time to see that unfold. I'm not, I'm not here for real, not in my mind. Because once you're in prison, your mind, you're institutionalized then. I'm not whining about nothing, you know. I feel as if no one told me I had to be out there stealing them folks' cars, but I was doing it anyway. The last thing I want to be able to say to someone ever is being back in here talking to a dude and saying, I was here back in 95, and the year may be 2025 or something like that, you know. I haven't wrote nothing down on a paper and sent it in a letter to no one in the free world telling about what goes on, what's happening, you know. I would just tell them I'm doing all right and this, that, and other thing, but it's really a hard place to speak of living in it, you know? I try not to even have a constant thought about this place. 
Okay, let's change the subject. In the past few months, I've noticed that uh, you've been documenting New Yorkers' lives during the pandemic. I've seen so many beautiful pictures and videos that you posted on Instagram. So, Zach, in your own words, how would you describe what you've witnessed? Well, right now I'm witnessing a little bit of heat, so I had to take a drink of water. It's really hot in here, <laughs> even with the air conditioning on. Um, which, uh, which I, I don't know. I kind of like uh, like it's been a cold uh, spring, so it's nice to have a hot winter. Well, you know, I think one of the things I really enjoy about your podcast, Ellen, your view mm-hmm. on life is hardship leading to inspiration, and I think we're all experiencing mm-hmm. hardship right now in one degree or another, whether we've lost someone or we're not sure of the future. It's it's a real time of you know introspection, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's, um, a sense of, um, you know, fear, um, hope and anger. And, uh, because of just, just being locked in all the time, but also this examination of the social issues we're talking about before, but, you know, this, um, is also a time for, you know, introspection can be a very profound thing I find. Right. I think that's where, Mm -hmm. um, as artists, you tell me if this is your, the case with you is that it could be kind of an incubation period when you're, you're in, you know, you're, you're looking inward. Mm-hmm. Yes. hundred percent. Right. Yeah. So my process is when I'm developing a new project is finding inspiration, right? Hunting it down. Um, and I don't know where you find it. I, I think you find it in music a lot. Mm-hmm. I think you find it in exercise. Am I right? Yes, uh, traveling. Yes. Yeah. Um, I do too, but I also just really like the reason I live in New York is because the friction of just being around so many people. And that's one of the things I love about New York, hearing different people speak different languages in different ways, among other things, having different perspectives, honking horns, um, you know, just that cacophony that kind of, it's just invigorating. Mm -hmm. And now New York is quiet. Um, and I hope it's not quite for much longer. Uh, while it is, it's something that should never be forgotten. Mm-hmm. And it's a New York that I've never seen before in the many years I've lived here. So I'm not a photographer. I like taking pictures. I, you know, I shoot my films so I, you know, can sometimes put a frame together. But walking around New York, that's one of the other reasons that I, you know, I, I don't run as, as much, but I do like to walk. Wake up early in the morning and seeing the city through this has been just a really profound experience. It's almost like a small town that has these canyons of skyscrapers that, um, you know, once was and will be again very soon um, as soon as things are different. It's trying to find inspiration in, in seeing a city transform like it is. Mm, that's great that you are using this unusual time to reflect, uh, to look for inspirations. I think we've been offered quite rare opportunity to actually stop and uh, and think. Yeah. Right. So, uh, Zach, what are your takeaways from the lockdown? Do you, can you say that you you got inspired? Uh, did the lockdown uh, bring you some new ideas? <laughs> well, it's inspirational, but it's also uncomfortable, isn't it? I mean, it's because mm-hmm. there is, unlike a holiday, you don't know when you and everyone else are going to come back from it and how it's going to be afterwards. We assume it's just going to be, I mean, maybe I'm alone in this assumption that it will be similar than it was before, I would hope. 
mm-hmm. that it would be. Maybe save, maybe we'll have a deeper level of understanding of some issues that really have come to the fore the past couple of months, I would hope, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in other words, we come out of this stronger. Um, but, uh, you know, this is also a good time to develop a project. You know, I'm, a, I'm an independent filmmaker. Having this quiet time, um, you know, I still have been working, but uh, writing and developing an independent film project, it's a really good time to do that because there aren't a lot of, of uh, distractions. And one of, the, um, one of my biggest sources of inspiration is my favorite place to go is the Metropolitan Museum of Art. I just, something about that place I've always found every time I've gone in there. Mm. Uh, it's probably the place I've most visited in New York City. Something there in a painting usually or a sculpture or something on a tour of the museum that is just on a real fundamental level connected with me in some way that is almost seminal. And when I'm having trouble writing a scene or working on something creatively, I'll just switch things off and look at a painting. Well, that's closed now and it's been closed for a while and I look forward to that being open. Um, But, um, you know, you have to dig a little deeper and uh, see uh, just, um, you know, everyone's coming out of their shell, mm-hmm. kind of seeing human behavior, seeing dogs running around who have been, um, not seeing other dogs, for example, little things about the city that we would all take for granted. I'm, I'm a city person. So those are the things I'm noticing, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> that, uh, the, um, kind of the invigorating aspect of a city, seeing those things come back online one by one is, um, you know, something not to take for granted. And, um, yeah, it kind of gets the uh, the brainwaves moving a little bit. Mm. So what is the thing that you missed the most during the lockdown? <laughs> and what will be the thing that you will miss about the lockdown once it's over? Oh, God, I'm not prepared. This is good. You're mm-hmm. really good at this. Uh, the thing most, I don't know. Uh, well, I, I think I told you I like the museum, the Metropolitan. I just like going to museums in New York. I just something about it. Mm-hmm. It's it's that contrast of the cacophony of loudness to coming into a place where you're focused on, you can be focused on one thing, a painting, a sculpture, an exhibit, something like that. It's just something about that that shift is is something I really, it's one of the things I love most about the city. Walking around, like I say, you know, seeing and hearing people and, and um, just being, you know, kind of rubbing up against all that is something I miss. And it's starting to happen a little bit more and more. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things I won't miss, I don't know. I just, the quiet is eerie and uncomfortable, uh, but it'll never be this quiet in the city again. I, I probably would hope it wouldn't be, but there's something kind of that spoils you when you wake up in the most populated city in, this, in the country and you can hear birds chirping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Yes. And walk, walking through Times Square, you could hear the buzz of the electric lights of the billboards it was that quiet it was like being no way no it was it was mind-blowing and i don't know if i'm going to miss it ella but it was something that you know to certainly behold and that's one of the reasons i was taking so much pictures because i knew this was just um you know really terrible time but also something that um was unique and uh i wanted to document because and i'm sure so many other people are doing the same thing because it's not always also just a, you know, on a small scale and artistic kind of exercise, mm-hmm. but it's encapsulating an experience that, you know, will, I wouldn't say fleeting, but it's certainly an experience that um, 
is unforgettable. Documenting it is, is kind of a, for lack of a better word, a cool thing to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's that's amazing. And um, so what is coming next, Zach? Yeah, so um, I, I'm writing a script, developing another independent film. I'm a do-it-yourself filmmaker. I finance my own work. And it's a slow path, but it allows mm-hmm. for freedom. In a lot of ways, it's the best time to do this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The equipment, the means of production is very affordable. You can get a high production value for not a lot of money. And, um, you know, there is a hunger for content. There's a, a need for, uh, for seeing stories and, uh, there, the barriers are, are down. And this has been a really good, this period of introspection has been a good time to, um, develop, uh, develop another narrative project. Mm, sounds great. And, um, you have already shot a narrative film called uh, Nothing Without You. Yeah, right. Can you tell us more about it? You know, that film is about a character. It's a psychological thriller, but it is about an outsider, you know, someone who's experiencing hardship because of her, you know, I, the idea that she's, you know, she's stigmatized. She is an outsider. Mm-hmm. And and that, this is the story of, the script I'm working on now has center around someone who at the beginning of the story is broken and marginalized and not listened to. And I think stories like that really appeal to me because they are uh, starting with a character in a place that is, you know, in the most vulnerable situation. And if you do it right, some, some, a character that can be an audience can connect with right away. But, troubled an outsider moving closer to finding their own story and finding their own journey rather not their own story but in a way that's the kind of those are the kind of stories i like really seeing most in film and um that's what i hope nothing without you was and that's the story i'm working on now is a lot of those similar things and mm-hmm. um i think it's a time for people to really focus on outsiders right and mm-hmm. looking at the underrepresented um you know, people who have struggled with mental health. And um, Mm -hmm. this is a real uh, time to focus on that because of what people are experiencing being separated. And, um, and there's a general sense of anxiety the world is feeling, you could say, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. it's a real visceral thing, concrete thing that it's nice to hear your podcast really focus on those issues. Mm. It's actually very interesting what you just said. Um, you know, I think if your characters are outsiders, I think everyone to some extent is able to identify themselves with your with your characters. Yes. Um, because we all want to be a part of something bigger we want to fit the society um and if we spot something different about ourselves we we feel uncomfortable about it um so yeah i i think it's a you know it's a primal thing everyone has it yeah that's the great thing about well, i think you focus on this in your podcast and i think you mm-hmm. you really talk about the idea that you know that the the stigmatized the outsider is something that is we can all relate to because not only, I mean, art helps us when we feel alone, feeling connected to something greater than ourselves because our experiences are universal. We've been mm-hmm. connected and we've been on the outside, all of us. And we're less alone uh, than we tend to think. We connect with something so strongly, a book where we see ourselves in someone else's work. We connect with a story where someone else has written 
that res resonates with their own experience. And I think in extremes, when you have a story where on the surface, there are so many things that we cannot connect with on this character, but when we, how it's framed and how it's told, and this can be in a story or a song or a film, we see ourselves in it. That's a really profound thing an artist can do or a storyteller can do mm -hmm. because then there's something that resonates and it's a cathartic experience watching that, that character, that story, hearing that song. Yes, and as a filmmaker, you give the audience a chance to experience that. Yes. So, Zach, congratulations on your great work. Ah. Um, Thank you, Ella. So, uh, Zach, where people can find you? Yeah, I'm on uh, Instagram, Facebook. My Instagram is Zachary Irving, one word, and uh, Twitter the same way. And things are available on uh, Amazon Prime. Yes. And I wish you best of luck with all your upcoming projects. Ella, thank you so much for having me on. This has been a real privilege. Thank you so much. I am looking forward to seeing your new film. Thank you, Ella.